everybody has their own journey. It doesn't have to be the same. Like everybody seen very smart people with all the degrees that the practical work was hard for them and vice versa. People that never went through proper like education and were like super sharp and, and super smart. So yeah, I, I think it's important to understand who you are, what kind of journeys is the right one for you. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Ori Karen, co-founder and CEO of Linear B, a technology company specializing in software delivery management for engineering leaders. Now, Ori started programming more than 30 years ago, and he's worn the hats of developer, manager, and now co-founder and CEO. His other passion is basketball, which I hope we'll get into as well. Ori, Welcome to Exponential Growth. I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Most of the conversations I have already focus on the journey that people have followed to get into and to land that first tech role. I understand you are a lot more senior than most of the people I talk with. I do want to talk about Linear B and all of the, the awesome you know, $300 million exit that you had when you were VP. I want to talk about all of that, but I'd love to start with your, your background story if you'll indulge me. So if you think back to like growing up, what was it like? Yeah. So if I have to think about like the starting point, I was at the age of 13, more or less. My friend and my neighbor had like a thing called a computer. This was 1987. And this was a single spectrum 48K RAM, which is, if you think about it in, in, in the terms of today, it's like a the memory was the size of like the smallest probably image or something that you have now uh, in a browser. Uh, and I, and he, he played games. So I told my parents, hey, I want this computer too. And I got this computer um, and I started playing games on it. You know, there were like, I like sports, the basketball, athletics games, soccer, all that. Um, but then, you know, when it came like a small book uh, on basic, like the language of basic and uh, my friends, all the brother were kind of like doing stuff with it. I told him, Hey, what is this thing? He showed me around and it felt like magic to me. <laughs> I went back to my house, started like, you know, wait, so I can actually put like print things and the computer will behave how I'm telling it to behave. So I started like teaching like, myself and learning on my own. And then, you know, uh, build like this, these crappy games and force my younger sister to play them even though she didn't enjoy it. <laughs> but I remember that kind of sparked like, you know, a real thing in my brain, like, uh, and my imagination started to go on, right? So I can build things and, and put it in the hands of other people and they can enjoy playing games or solving a problem. And, um, you know, I didn't do a lot with it. I had two hobbies that when I was younger, this and I, I like playing basketball that so I focus more on the, on the other thing okay uh, but um, uh, we can talk about it but that's when I you know after I finish uh, I'm based in Israel I'm based in Tel Aviv so everybody here has to do a mandatory army service so you kind of go to university or college like at the age of 22 usually 20 so even before that I kind of find my way to my first job at tech and I remember, wait, like, uh, oh, I remember, like, basic. And that's how I kind of started. We can talk about that if that's, yeah. if that's what you wanted. That's yeah, no, I'd love to. I've never, so I've heard that, uh, I believe, Israel, how they require people to go through the military. And I think 
I love that principle. And I'm curious, were you able to focus on a technical role when you served that stint of your, of your time? That's a great question. And, and there's a lot of like uh, uh, talent going into especially cyber companies in Israel that's growing in those uh, army units that, that are dealing with it. I did a different army service, like okay. not related to a tech role. Okay. So I had this like pause in the, in the, in, in the middle. I worked in all kinds of jobs, but I got my first job that is kind of related to tech in a company that tried to build uh, the first like uh, index of websites in Hebrew, like that were okay. like in my language. So it's more like a data entry job, right? So okay. I, right, so I, I went there and I covered, okay, this website is doing this. I was like uh, building this catalog, this index of like five, first 5K like uh, websites. And the next, uh, uh, and the, you know, the room next to me, the developers, they build the website and I started saying, hey, can you show me what you're doing? And mm. I looked at the syntax and I said, wait, I know that this is basic. I used to do this when I was a kid. And they let me, they did me a favor and they let me like, okay, like uh, try something. And actually wrote my first thing and got it all the way to production. It's really, I, I, till this day, I remember what was the first thing that I released. And then they gave me another thing. And then once the project ended, I told them, hey, like, you know, I, I took the book. There was no, uh, you know, you couldn't learn online back then. So I took a book and I learned from the book. And I told them, listen, you give me a shot, like I can do it. So yeah. they, gave me, they paid me poorly. But this was my first role. And I was like yeah. a, a happy, happy developer. And this is how we started my car. This is how I got my first job as a, as a very, very, very junior developer. Yeah, no, I love that. And so again, trying to better understand your timeline. And again, I, I guess understanding, I only have, I guess the American perspective where we, most people go to high school and then a lot of people go on to college. I understand you, I would imagine you had some kind of school and then perhaps the military service was university or college in there for you. Yeah. So my, my role is a little bit, my journey is a little bit unique. So what I did after I started work, I actually started working before studied it like like you know properly okay and i decided that i want to try like working this like for a year like 18 months and then so i really like it i used to like i like you know i i'm not recommending it uh, to anyone today today because i learned a lot of lessons about work-life balance but i used yeah. to come to the office and program and then say look around and say wait it's the next day like i'm like so in the zone <laughs> yeah but then I knew I knew that I really love it and this is what I want to do. So I decided yeah. to like, come. Like I, I took like a I cho chose like a journey where I could go to university, study this like side by side by continuing to work. Yeah. So I did a lot of like you know, you know, uh, courses that I could take. Like yeah. if you you don't have to like be there, but you can study on your own. So, I did this, then I studied for, I, I finished my BSD um, yeah. uh, while working all the time. And I think it gave me a lot of perspective. Yeah, that's that's so smart, Ori. And it's, you know, I, I think back on my own journey and I, I, I make fun of it only because I was fortunate enough to land in the developer role that I'm in today. But, you know, I went to college because it was kind of expected of me. I had no intentionality behind that decision. And work was an afterthought. You know, I started off in engineering and realized quickly it's a lot easier to kind of BS your way through an English degree. So, you know, I, I still joke where it took me eight years to get a four-year degree that has very little to do with what I do today. But I, I love the intentionality that I hear in your decision. And, you know, you say it's not a traditional path. I, I feel like 
none of our paths are necessarily traditional, even those that are meant to be. And I feel like, you know, looking at the success you seem to have had, I feel like that definitely worked out for you as well. Yeah, I think exactly like you, like everybody has their own journey. It doesn't have to be the same. Like everybody seen very smart people with all the degrees that the practical work was hard for them and vice versa. People that never went through proper like education and were like super sharp and, and super smart. So yeah, I, I think it's important to understand who you are, what kind of journey is, is the right one for you. There's right. a lot in there. Yeah, no, for sure. So let's talk about you. You had mentioned you had started, I guess you were a, an underpaid, but quickly learning developer way back when. And I think I was listening to another conversation you did where you got your first quote unquote dev job back in 2000. So what was it like once you were in that role? And then I guess, how did that play out? Because I, I think it was not, well, I'm not sure how soon thereafter it was that you eventually became manager and on and on. But if you think back to when you got that first role, how were those first few formative years of your career? Uh, so my first job was in a company that built the Yahoo of, of Israel or something like that. I remember that it was a lot of like, you know, learning on my own and consulting with the people I worked with and a lot of like moving fast, releasing things fast, but not a lot of process. And I started reading and learning about, okay, there's like, a, I don't think Unitest even exists there, but it, there was like kind of like, okay, this is how you should be working. Think about this. This is the year where the Agile Manifesto went out. We were still working in Waterfall. Like, by the way, I had the privilege of like meeting uh, one of the people who signed the Agile Manifesto. I was so excited. Like I, <laughs> now, like, uh, like, you know, two, three years ago. But I remember that I told myself while I decided, okay, to go. To, to the university and, and, you know, learn it properly, et cetera. To also go to a company that is like a little bit better organized, that has a process that I can learn also. I remember looking for that next job and I wasn't optimized for all the best salary. This was before the first like bubble burst, like okay. in 2001, there was like a big uh, uh, bubble burst, like, you know, of, of the web. Um, and I said, okay, I want to go to a company where... In the previous company, I was quickly like one of the leaders and I knew a lot. I wanted to go to a company where I'm back to like, okay, learning from people. Mm -hmm. I can get a lot from them on how, how, how is a good process of developing software look like. So I went to a company that I stayed there for uh, uh, nine years. This is where I developed a lot and I was manager. We can talk about that journey. But what I learned there is a lot about, you know, how, how you develop software, how, you know, uh, you think about every path of your code, how you run your tests. Again, there was no unit test, but it was still about, okay, debug your code in every, and try to go through every, every path of the code so you can like kind of understand if, if it's working uh, okay or not. There's a lot of like good processes that I learned there. And, and even though I, there were two other companies that offered me more, you know, salary i i told myself this and like uh, this is like the best path to your career like this is where you're going to go where i felt connected and i thought it yeah. was the right decision um and i stayed there for nine years i owe a lot to that company of, yeah. of what i learned yeah well there again i hear a lot of intentionality because it sounds like in that first role or the role before that you you probably hit a ceiling in terms of growth and things that you could learn and you realized that you didn't want to be the smartest guy in the room you know, so that's why you got a different room. And I, I love that you were so intentional in that as well. And you made that move. 
Yeah. Well, now I'm I'm a little bit older, so I sometimes like to be the smartest guy. But for that time, <laughs> I'm still very humble. By the way, I don't think I'm the smartest guy. I'm like I'm the CEO of my company, and there's so much people smarter than me, which is a very important principle. We can talk about being a manager, but um, but yeah, I, I felt like uh, this is like it can't be that I'm like you know just one one year and a half, and I'm if I'm not learning here and i'm like teaching all over and and it's also nice like to teach people but i'm not there yet that's why it felt like i need to still be on yeah. on the side that learns and then i'll be ready to contribute uh, my uh, my knowledge back that's uh every time i speak about it i'm trying to be uh as honest as i can with myself to think about ways is that a story you're telling yourself in retrospective <laughs> or were you really that when i'm trying to remember it felt like and the first company, I'm like, I was so grateful to have that to have the experience, but it's time for me to move to another place where yeah. I can learn more. Yeah. Let's talk about that transition from being a developer to a manager. What was that like? Yeah, so that's that's also very interesting because like I told you, I, I enjoyed so much like coding and building stuff and you know, working with myself and also working in a team with a team, but just um, I love that program. I programmed in every language almost like that, that was out there back in the days, like, you know, basic, uh, Visual Basic, uh, a lot of Java, a lot of C and C++, all, the, all those languages, um, web development. Um, I really enjoyed it. So every time I wanted to kind of, you know, um, learn something new or, or you know, uh, renew something in like what I'm doing, I move like breadth like to you know to, to learn something another language and every time people told me hey listen like maybe take uh, like a manager position i said no for like two or three years i said no i wanted to say but uh, then i i decided that you know it, i for me specifically it was hey i want to make more impact on this company i work in because i want it to succeed i can already see that i have like a lot of contributed people who are like sitting next to me um so and I learned also a lesson about timing in life because people said, hey, there's a job. You want to be a team leader? I said, no. There's a job. You want to be a team leader? I said, no. And then I said, okay, I'm ready to be a team leader. And the company said, well, you know what? There's no opening right mm. now. Um, so I have to learn another lesson about, like, again, uh, I mean, I was impatient. So I was yeah. like, okay, give me that. Eventually, we find, like, a compromise. I was, uh, they, they found me a job, like, the tech lead. And then I became a team leader. Okay. Um, um, and I remember that we can talk about it later, but my journey was never linear. I like I, I grew, 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 and then I said, okay, back to developer. I almost re like I thought it grew a little bit, grew a little bit, and then okay, back to being a developer. So I, I, I stay. I wanted to stay close to the code up until a certain point. But in, in my first job, I remember I had like four people in my team. In the first lesson, I learned. Um, not that I didn't know it before. I think I was always good, like with the soft skill and EQ, but, but yeah, I learned that I tried something with somebody who I was coaching, like try to approach, you know, an individual in a certain way and it worked really well. Yeah. And then I tried the exact same way with another person and it completely failed. And then when I learned, this is the first lesson that I learned, you know, how uh, programs are deterministic there's a function you input one parameter or even two same two parameters 
the output will be the same with people. people it doesn't not. work like that. Yeah. No. <laughs> but he has is driven like from another like as like another thing that drives them. Yeah. We're humans. We sometimes have good days, bad days. So I learned a lot about like how to um, approach people, about timing, about which bottles to pick, which not. Uh, honestly, I think the best thing like for managers who want to be managers is experience. Like, the, yeah. that's like you can learn the like and teach it in schools, but it's you gotta fail a couple of times. And by the way, failing with software is fine. Failing with people is worse. Still, up until these days, where I feel the most pain when yeah. maybe we didn't give like the most, the best chance to somebody to set them up for success in their role. Yeah. Maybe that's like, but um, but. Uh, but still, if you want to be a manager, you gotta you gotta try and you gotta learn from your mistakes. So that's yeah. why I remember in the first you know year there, I was a manager. Yeah, you had mentioned that you keep you were maybe branching off into different paths in your career. How it's not linear, and how you kept reverting back to code. I'm curious. Fast forward to present day. Obviously, you're your CEO and co-founder. Do you still find excuses to code to to scratch that itch? Yeah, up until a year ago. I still did it like as part of like small things that like POC, small things. Um, but honestly, like we're we're 100 people in the company right now. Uh, so I'm the only time that I'm programming is like outside of work. Like sometimes okay. very early now, like just for fun, taking like a Python notebook, trying something. But um, but at work, it like it doesn't make sense anymore. Like uh, it was, again. Uh, so much there's people so talented people so much talented people that are doing that yeah. and i need to focus on other other aspects of the business yeah and you no doubt have a bigger impact in that capacity which makes total sense so going from manager i think shortly thereafter you became vp i'm not sure if it was at the same company but what was that transition like maybe from manager to vp yeah it's like so in that comp in in that company where i stayed for nine years i was so i was a team leader and that company grew fast. By the way, we built um, like a conferencing solution back in the days of the, the internet was really stuck. Everybody knows WebEx. We were like kind of like com competition uh, to that solution. It was really an interesting time. Um, and I became a director. And the interesting transition there was like to be from being a manager of of three or four people because the company was successful and it was growing fast being a manager of managers so right. like uh, being a manager or like people who are building teams it was also very interesting because i went through all of this like for two years or two and a half years and now um all of a sudden it's like i need i need to 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 guide people okay how how to approach people when and this is where I learned another lesson. It's like almost you can multiply the lesson too because they went through the same problems with people and I wanted to contribute from my experience. Hey, this is how what I learned. And yeah, sometimes their journey on like getting to the right solution on how they run their team is also different than me. So also to accept different management styles and to kind of like uh, decide what do you keep uniform? What is like important, like the rules and the and the values and how we work, and where do you give space for an autonomy for each team, like to to run on? That was a very interesting lesson. It's like it can go from you know how how they manage to even like uh, 
the beginning, like uh, people wanted coding standards for the entire, we were 20 people more or less. Yeah. And slowly I said, okay, fine. We, we need to have some standards, but we need to give, uh, give autonomy that somebody wants to work with uh, this package in this specific area. Maybe in high level, we want to keep the same kind of language. We can't, we can't like have like seven different languages because we want because we want to keep the same you know uh, knowledge and people can teach each other. But yeah, if people want to select different packages and how they code, it's like um, uh, so. I learned I learned a lot of lessons about uh, the level of of, of uh, you know autonomy that you give like to each team and yeah. and how do you run the, how do you run like uh, this operation at scale? This was like twenty people more or less. Yeah, I then feel I like climbed from the yeah. I was going to say that I feel like that's so critical and I don't want to gloss over that in that you realize that empowering people to explore their interests as long as those interests were aligned with the company's mission and values is, is so important, I think, and not just extracting value from the people, but in, I think, sustained productivity for at both the individual level and at the team level. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I like the most, and I think it's an art and leaders managers who know how to do it the best is to always try to search where the, I call it where the vectors are meeting. There's a vector of growth or of individual that want to do something. So if you interview and talk to them all the time and, and, and you kind of tell them, okay, this is what, what we're working on. I'm not promising that I can let you choose, but what's interesting. And um, when the vectors are meeting, it's the best when somebody is working on what they want to work and it's aligned with what the company needs. So that art of always being this search mode, how to match like the work to what people are. Uh, again, it's, you can't do it every hour, right? You, but in high level, like keep this conversation open, be, being transparent. Hey, I can get, there's nothing there, but I hear you. I know that you're interested in growing to this. I'm going to keep my eyes open and just and remembering that I think it's an art. Like I learned it from my managers who are behaving like that, and that's like something that uh, empowering people a lot and helping like to maintain this like uh, interest. Like everybody should enjoy. It. Like I think if you enjoy what you're doing, it's like it's always a, a recipe for success. So yeah, um, yeah. The uh, was this the company that was eventually bought out by Cisco? I went through two. Um, uh, acquisition. This was a company that was eventually acquired by AT and T. Actually, okay. Um, this is uh, 2007, okay. and yeah, I was. Tell us about I that. Think, yeah. So again, I just think I grew there from from the beginning. Like I told you, as a developer, up to like I think when we were acquired, I had a group of like 60 people, more or less two like groups, group leaders and team leaders, etc. We did um, this solution that started as e-learning and then became like a conferencing solution. Everybody uses Zoom now, so think about Zoom uh, 20 years ago. This was a really cool company. I learned a lot. We were acquired by AT&T. Um, nowadays, by the way, it's like it became like a, a development center of AT&T. There's like 500, 600 people. Every time I go, I pass with my car, I smile, I see this place. I say, okay, I was a part of it. Yeah. I feel out of pride with that, but I stayed there for... Two more years, so like the, the company is integrating well. Um, and then I decided, okay, I'm gonna try something else. I, I really missed like uh, developing again. I actually worked as a freelance for two years and did like wow. a bunch of a bunch of projects because I, I think there was always like this uh, 
something in me that wanted to try things on my own. So I wasn't still sure where to start up. And so I worked for as a freelance with a bunch of companies, a bunch of startups, and did that for uh, almost two years. And then I think I got like an email from a friend that was working in a previous company. And he said, listen, I started this company. The company name was CloudLock. He described what they're doing. CloudLock was a security company. These were the days where organizations were starting to move to the cloud. Okay. Now it's like, sure, of course, like G Suite, like email, whatever, like every, we're going to consume it and stuff. But before that, people were keeping like the servers behind the firewalls, in on site, etc. So, and CloudLock was a, a, a one of the companies that gave a solution, a security solution, to kind of say, okay, it's not in your perimeter anymore. We're going to help you kind of cover and understand what's happening there. So they really cracked something in terms of like the go-to-market, you know, start, and started to grow fast. And my friend called me and said, listen, like, uh, because we wanted to work before together and didn't work. He told me, join us like as a contractor. For, at the beginning, I, I, I built like a project for them, like two, three months, and then say, okay, remember you started a team in Tel Aviv because they had a bunch of the development already in the Boston. Um, so I joined, I started like, again, small team. I was still coding. We're building a, a complementary solution to uh, for the company, um, and after uh, I would say like a year, I think like a year, a year and a half, um, the company grew fast. We were like we had like ten developers in Intel, ten developers in Boston. They said, okay, why don't you come like take the entire R and D organizations? We need to scale fast, so. So I kind of like started a site in Tel Aviv. So I was a site lead of like a startup within a startup okay. in, in this company and the DTR and the globally. So I started traveling a lot between Boston to Tel Aviv and we acquired a small uh, company in UK. And then we started an operation in UK. We had to grow fast. This was like a super interesting experience going from first couple of people up to 80 and even 100 people after Cisco acquired us. Hmm. And this is where I think I got um, a lot of, I was, again, a VP of engineering before, but this was like a different VP yeah. of engineering role where yeah. I, I felt like the entire like thing is on me from the beginning. Right. Um, so this was the company that was acquired by Cisco eventually. I can still hear the excitement in your voice. And I, what I imagine, Ori, is that you're you're so excited because you're you're learning new things. You're not just at this growth ceiling. You're you're continuing to flex into that. And I'm I'm curious to the extent you're comfortable disclosing after, especially the second acquisition. I believe CloudLock was sold to Cisco for 293 million or thereabouts. After that, were you financially set? Could you just focus on things you were passionate about? I had like a, a nice like uh, upside financially for that. It's not that, okay, I can rest for the rest of my life, okay. but it helped me. And I think what I told myself, so I stayed for 18 more months with Cisco. And by the way, I think I learned a lot about, I'm a person of small companies. Like when I'm working in a big organization, it was hard for me, even though Cisco is an amazing company. They did such a great job. Like, they know how to acquire companies and how to help them keep the brand. But eventually, eventually, they're like, they know how to sell at scale. And in your startup, you're like, all of your energy is going to, hey, universe, please see me. I'm here yeah. as well. I have a company <laughs> in, in a big company. It's like, hey, you're trying to move stuff within your company. Mm -hmm. Some people are great at it. I'm, 
I'm not good at editing. Like, so, um, so honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I, I, after 18 months, I, I had a list of 10 things I have to do. The first one is, okay, go get a scuba diving license, check. Nice. And then looked at the second to 10th item. Was, yeah, okay, you know what? I'm going to go back. Like I, I really <laughs> love tech. Yeah. So I started, um, uh, yeah, so I, I had like the benefit of doing that, thinking about what's the right thing to do. Um, I have a lot of, we, we spoke about it in the beginning about different journeys of how to get into tech. And like I told you, I don't think there's one right model. Same goes for entrepreneurs and people who are founders. I respect a lot, you know, people who are coming off college or whatever, like 22, 23. Like, I know what I want to do. I want to conquer the world. Um, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I had to go through all the phases to feel comfortable enough that they wait. I know how to do that. I know how to do that. And in Cisco and in CloudLock, and then in Cisco, I saw, I was also, I think in the last years, like very close to the business. But, because I was the VP of R&D, but then I moved to like sort of like a kind of like a CTO type role. So okay. they pulled me into a lot of sales calls. Come talk about it. And I enjoyed that position of, okay, being the tech guy in a sales call, helping to close a deal. Um, and I think that would get created also this like hunger or thirst like in, in me. Like, wait, I can, I can also do that, like that part of, of the, of the equation. And it took me some time, but then I called my friend then who worked with me in, in cloud and they say, Hey, like we got to build something together. And it was very natural. Like to, cause I, I keep saying like, if somebody would tell me, why don't you, let's start, uh, I don't know, restaurant tech, you know, business say like this, I don't know anything about restaurants. I like eating, but I don't know anything <laughs> about restaurants. So yeah. by building that, this specific startup linear B that Basically, it helps R&D organizations like um, measure themselves the way they think they should be measuring themselves, like what, where uh, developers are waiting and they have a lot of idle time, where, you know, all the things that I went through as a developer and then as a team leader and, and, and all my roles were, you know, I, I remember how it was like when there's this thing, everybody uses now that... Let's say you're building something, you're in the zone and you're coding and somebody taps over your shoulder. Um, it's going to take you by average 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get to the same cognitive state that you were in before. Wow. If you're in the, in the, you know, the peak of your focus. Um, and I look at the development process right now and, and it's, it's, there's a lot of problems in that, especially in the, approving the code review processes, you know, you got to wait for somebody to review your PR. If somebody is commenting on something from two days ago, you need to remind us, wait, what was trying to build here? Oh, okay. And so a lot of what we're trying to do within the business make this process like very, you know, flowing. If you can get a response in the first like hour after you got the PR, everything is still fresh in your head. Yeah. And by the way, if you can get the code into production, in the same day, people think it's no, it's hasty. It's the opposite. Because mm-hmm. if there's a problem, it's you'll know where the problem in two seconds because you just wrote it. So again, there's there's a lot that goes into that. You gotta work in small chunks. But like when I see elite companies now 
getting to work like that, that's why I'm still excited. Again, uh, I, my favorite moments as a CEO are product moments where yeah. customers are telling me those stories and the, the developers and the engineering leaders are telling me those stories. So yeah. that's the company that Dan and myself started to build in yeah. 2019 B. Yeah. And that's what I, I want to talk about that now. And I guess to this point, or what I'm hearing is you've built this incredible foundation of, you know, technical acumen starting off as the developer, and then you flexed into the the managerial side of the equation and you developed empathy, the, the soft skills, and you understood how to manage a team of four all the way up to scaling that to potentially hundreds of employees. And now you're going to go out, not entirely on your own with Dan, who you mentioned was your co-founder, but you didn't just go out on your own with Dan. Dan was 5,000 miles away, as I understand it. So what was that like? It's not like you're in the, the same physical room anyway. Yeah, this is a super interesting and great question. So first of all, we knew each other for six, seven years before going into business together, which is the best foundation, Like because when you're building a, a business together, a startup, it's... Um, the people who you work with, like it's uh, um, almost like marriage. I don't know if it's more. It's like it, it was the hours you spent together and the um, you know the the uh, different opinions and the emotions that can be there. So that's the first uh, foundation. And then you're right. We started we started the the business together. We were apart, and our first year was. Hey, I'm going to build me. Oh, I'm going to build uh, our R and D is based in Tel Aviv, and all the go-to market, by the way, is based. Then is based in the US, obviously. So uh, uh, all of our uh, go-to market functions are based in uh, the US. So basically, what we did, and this was very interesting and very uncommon, like to start a company. I said, I'm going to, I build the prototype. I built the prototype, but then once we wanted to scale it. Okay, let's. I'm going to hire a team. I'm going to start before we hire somebody who to manage the R and D. That's what I'm going to do. Then you go talk to customers, and 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 we said to ourselves, wait, we don't have a product yet. How can we talk to customers? I said, yeah, we can talk to customers. Let's find them, show them even like the small POC. Tell them, okay, give us access. This is we gave them like a PDF of one page. These are the insights that we saw in in your. Do you think it's worthwhile like building a product? So. The fact that we were um, far away from each other, I think it created a lot of like independence for both of us. Mm. Um, again, I'm not judging and everybody has their own journey. I've seen like founders that we or two are sitting together um, and there's a lot of uh, relief in that because you can talk and discuss and and the fact that we are in different time zones it, and, and sometimes far away, it's, we did talk a lot, but yeah, a lot of time it was lonely for both of us, and each one had to like build this independence, and then had to find customers. I had, I had to to go and build like the product, and it was very interesting because it made us, I think, uh, better leaders. Um, and, and it's almost like uh, working with force multiplier because again he went and found customers. I built this yeah. and and then we were like connecting like in, you know, in the hours that we had in uh, com common. So yeah. it built a lot of like, uh, I think we progressed more than other companies of progressing with two founders. And also uh, because of the distance, because of the force of independence, because it created this very organized interfaces, like, okay, we have now the two, three hours in the day to talk. 
okay, and now, okay, next day, everybody go do their thing, okay, talk again. It created this like uh, fast growth like mechanism for us. Yeah, I wanted to ask, so it makes sense to me that you and Dan, you already knew each other prior to starting off on this venture. So it, it does make sense, I guess, afforded hindsight that you would be successful in being able to communicate and interface remotely. But I'm curious, when you go to scale that to a team, you know, what is what does the engineering culture or the company culture look like today? Are there any challenges with that? Yeah, anybody that has like a team, you know, that's scaling and will tell you they don't have like challenges, like um, there's always challenges. But I think, um, so we came from the same company and this was an amazing company, uh, Cloudlog. But still, uh, we took like uh, the things that we liked and, and the things that we didn't like and we tried to improve them. One of the things that we said to ourselves is that every company I told Dan and um, every company I worked in had the same four or five values same values just different words and there were like excuse me but there were cliches like people first uh, customer obsession like and we started talking about we gave it a lot of attention and this is all uh, benefit all the credit goes to Dan he's a very smart leader great people's person and he insisted on us and told him, hey, let's go build something, get customers, let's spend some time in this culture area. And again, all credit goes to him. And we decided to um, uh, kind of phrase, not values, but behaviors. Like what type of behaviors do we want like to have from people who are joining the team? And, and our, the company, our company name is Linear B. And we can talk about the origin of the name, but yeah. And we we played on the B thing and we call it like behavior. So we created the, some some behaviors, and you know it goes all the way from like um, uh, innovate and adapt, like try something new. And there's like categories and and then two or three foundational behaviors, and then in the category you have like exceptional behaviors. Okay. So one example that I uh, one example of a category is work-life balance, and in a foundational behavior you want to do something for yourself that talks about work-life balance you just I know you run you swim you do yoga like make sure you have a routine that keeps you in the exceptional behavior you are not just thinking about yourself you're saying hey I'm starting like a running group or whatever like a yoga or a book club or something and then you take other people um, so we created these categories and it, it helped like bridge a lot of the things and a lot of like create and create this common like culture um, between, uh, you know, engineering R&D to the other aspect of the business. It's always a challenge. Uh, the, the team in Tel Aviv is, is uh, Israel is small, so everybody's co-located. It's like two or three times a week people are working from the office. And in the U.S., we have like three apps, so it's still not like everybody's meeting everybody all the time. Um, so we're doing once a quarter um you know, certain groups will meet uh, once a year. All the company will meet in the same place. Um, and because I learned there's no replacement, like you have this um, relationship between support to develop to engineering. So support, write something. If you see the face of the person you write to and you talk to them, you know, every quarter, you meet them face to face and you talk about it. But next time you would ask them, you will be more patient. Yes. You'll understand what drives them. So this yep. We put a lot of attention to that and a lot of like uh, embedding this uh, understanding into the culture. 
And yeah. this is all lessons that we learned because we were distributed before. Yeah, no, I love that. And let me just zoom out for a second. I'm, I'm curious of your thoughts on maybe remote work in general and also remote work for those maybe transitioning out of other careers and trying to get into tech. What are your thoughts on you know, people trying to find a, a remote first job? Yeah, I think like everything, balance is the right thing. There are companies that that's their you know philosophy from the beginning remote um they invest a lot they didn't go to it because covid hit and then okay now we have to be remote companies who are intentionally remote from the beginning and they invest a lot in uh, documentation and behaviors and ceremonies and all of that ask about how do you run async communication heads off to those companies i would recommend if the culture is very remote first i would recommend going into one of those companies because uh, then you can still be part of like the company, feel part of the company because they invested so much in the infrastructure of that. Um, and then my uh, perfect balance, by the way, for R&D, for engineering organization, for product, is to uh, where it's possible to balance between, uh, to be hybrid remote. So, you know, two days from the office where but I love the spark in the eyes when people are speaking about product stuff and everybody contributes, right? Everybody, the junior developer, senior developer, the product, the, the you know, person representing sales, those discussions where it's going back and forth. And um, um, those are like the, the great moments. So uh, I think if possible for companies and for people like to be part of that, that's really important because I think the future of work will be this hybrid uh, situation yeah. i can see employers trying to push okay everybody go back to the office five days and then developers and people wanted to know let's stay remote i think it's going to meet somewhere in yeah. in the middle and it's important for people people who are trying to break in i think to experience both that's what i'm if you experience remote only choose a company that you can choose that yeah that has these principles bit built in uh, yeah. at least and and again, my long term recommendation is to also experience something else like uh, this hybrid motion. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, Ori. And I, so I was fortunate to land my first, you know, programming role at LinkedIn, which is a, a massive company, and it was supposed to be a hybrid role. Eventually, that turned out to be remote, and I was lucky because I didn't have to uproot my my family, my wife, and our, our newborn daughter 1,100 miles across the country. So I very much appreciated that fact. But to your point, this is a, a very large company, and I don't think they were built remote first. I feel like they've adapted well, but you know there are certain instances where you know I feel like, and I readily acknowledge and admitted to my manager, I said, I understand I'm going to have to put in twice the work to onboard at the same velocity as someone in person may have to. And to your point about having those you know, intermittent in-person get-togethers, I was fortunate enough to go over to California and to meet my team uh, the end, it was about a year ago now, I think it was. And unfortunately, due to the economy, you know, we haven't been able to get back together since. But yeah, I think all of that to say exactly what you said, where there's a blend and it all depends on your situation, but it is nice to be able to have that flexibility. And yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. But I want to get back to Linear B and you had kind of flirted with the origination of the name. So how did you and Dan workshop that? Why did you land on Linear B? Yeah, uh, I remember like we tried a bunch of names 
um, once we started, like we decided that we're starting and actually we were both like, uh, uh, we both loved like the band, the strokes and they had like this, uh, one song we thought maybe we'd take something from there, but eventually I, I'm a big history fan and Linian B is actually, um, the story is that there were two scripts or fonts that were discovered in the Mediterranean Sea like 100 years ago, 120 years ago. Um, and by this, uh, and then when they started to learn them, there were two writing systems and they were linear. So they gave them the arbitrary name linear A and linear B. They didn't know, um, to which, uh, civilization to kind of like, uh, attribute it until they discovered that there was a civilization that lived, uh, 3000 years ago in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, the Minoan civilization, and they were pretty advanced to that time. They had like a lot of cultural uh, richness and even like talking about gender equality, things that are like, you know, very interesting concepts. And unfortunately, there was, uh, I think, a volcano eruption and, you know, this civilization was uh, uh, destroyed. But they tried to decipher both of these, uh, you know, writing system and they were able to decipher linear B. And once they were able to decipher, understand which, you know, because they found a lot of writings, a lot of wisdom, like burst it out. Hmm. And we like this concept, like, oh, yeah. we want the same situation. Okay. We're going to help engineering organization decipher, uh, you know, the wisdom or, and the problems that exist. So all the wisdom and all their knowledge could be like, uh, fully utilized. Yeah. And that's why we like that story and we chose the name Linear B. And by the way, Linear A, I think up until the, the, this day, it's sort of like the Everest of linguistic professors and they still didn't like decipher that. Maybe there's more wisdom there. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I love that. But that's the origin that. of the name. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. And I want to, I know we're coming up on our time together and I certainly want to respect yours. I want to talk about basketball for a minute. I think in the past yeah. you've said that engineering and basketball are both team-based sports versus one-on-one. Do you want to explain that? Uh, so first of all, I played basketball a lot and I programmed a lot. So I, I, I like both of these things uh, uh, very much. And I saw similar things. I saw um, some misconceptions in basketball. People were thinking, hey, I'm going to just take the ball, dribble, not seeing everybody go all the way to the hoop. And this is how my team is going to win. And then I saw developers who are behaving the same, saying, okay, I'm going to be just straight at developing and nothing else matters. And it doesn't work like that because um, um, in basketball, you need somebody to pass you the ball, you need somebody to rebound, you need like the, the teams that I like the most that are teams that like the, you know, the sum is bigger than the parts where something magical happens when people are working together and same goes for an hours, a squad. We don't have to talk about big, big engineering team, a squad where everybody is contributing. Somebody is, you know, in their prime of coding. They want to sit and write a lot of code. You know, that us, I still say us developers because I think myself as a developer and that's, when I'm going to go one day, that's why I want something. That's why it's going to be written on my uh, tomb, <laughs> a developer. But we like to write code. We don't like to read code. Reading mm-hmm. is, is, we don't like it. And reviewing code, by the way, now we gen AI even more because code is being generated. Uh, again, I still think pe- people will write code even if it's machine assisted. But the pace of code being written is overcoming the pace of code being uh, people being able to read it. So you need in the team that 
that person, that kind of mentor that, okay, seeing a system or two and they want to read and give reviews. And because nobody's perfect, they're going to spot like the flaws in the design or, or bugs. And then you, know, you want somebody that all they care about is, okay, I'm going to make sure the pipeline is working, like the tests are working. There's no flaky test. It's short. It's five to seven minutes. See, you got to have all these things in a, in a squad that's operating. Um, and that's like the similarities that I see in basketball. Like even if you take it all the way to metrics, part of what we do, we help like squads. We focus on squads. We don't focus on individuals, yeah. and you know. So we help squads like kind of like measure themselves, and it's the same because the thing that I love the most there's like this um, plus minus uh, statistic in basketball that says I don't care how much you scored or rebounded. What happened when you are on court? Like, do your team score more than the opponent? You could only play defense or something yeah. like that, but. And that's how I think people should look, think about a squad. Like you, you can't just look at a specific metric, like how much yeah. lines of code somebody read. It's a team sports. And if the squad is working it's in an harmonic way, that's like the thing that you should be looking. Hey, yeah. can we write code and get it in three, four hours all the way to production because the pipeline is functioning and the story was broken to like small chunks and all of that. If that's working, that's, that's magic. And those are the similarities that I see between basketball to software, if it makes sense. Yeah. What do great engineering leaders and great basketball coaches have in common? I think um, the leaders that I've seen that are great are people usually that are came from, they know the problems, so they leave the problems. So an good engineering that lives and still remember, I, I, I'm also a parent of two kids. And I'll always say good parent is a parent that remembers how it was when they were kids at every level. Uh, same goes here. You got good engineering manager needs to remember how it was when you were a developer and the frustration that exists there and how you help like the team being like, uh, you know, work together in a harmonic way. Yeah. And it's not going to work all the time. There's going to be bad times. But how you, how, how you like, uh, um, you know, build motivation and all that. Same goes for good basketball players. They, and it all depends when, where, right? The NBA versus college. I like college basketball a lot. It's much more like team sport. But yeah, where you can manage like, um, you know, even the ego of your superstars and all of that. So that, that's what I've seen. I've seen like good coaches and good engineering leaders have in common. Yeah, no, I love that. And maybe we can finish with some general engineering advice from an engineering turned CEO. What advice do you have for people outside of startups that might want to join one? My first advice is like uh, know that you that you love love this. If you really love this and you're really passionate about this, like you will find your way. Um, it's really really important. Some people just go; they they think there's a lot of money and they do it for the wrong reasons. So know yourself that you really love it, and then you find a way. And then I would say the second thing is like just remember, I see a lot of like uh, young people coming in, and I my my advice to them is to to work on Work more on those EQ and soft skills because when you come into a team, that's that's how you can make a huge impact. If you're great and you can also talk to people and explain them and why you think that, and that's where you're making a big. If you're great and you're working with yourself, it's like usually it's not a good recipe for success. Yeah, well, that makes sense. What languages should people be learning? And it's a very popular, sometimes controversial question. Yeah, I don't think this one depends on where they want. I I've heard this term, and and again, since I've 
I haven't been coding a lot in the last year, but still I, I heard like, I I know a lot of people saying my, my first language was this, but my last language was Python. Everybody loves Python. Python is a consensus, I think, because you can build like data app. Data plays a lot in today's world. So you can build a lot of things with data and a lot of abstractions are coming to Python. Sometimes people used to write it only in Scala in those areas. So you can do all the data engineering work and you can also build like robust services even backend services with Python. So I would say Python and Node is, Node.js is where I see like you would cover, you would open the most opportunities for yourself. But also like if, if people like something specific, you know, um, I don't think there's a lot of like difference in the languages you will find. People okay. will find a way just stay, be persistent and then and continue with your journey. That's like, well, if, if you really love what you do, you'll find your way. Okay. I love that. And to those out there listening that are maybe coming from that non-traditional background and hoping to break into tech, perhaps at a company like Linear B, what one piece of advice, if there is one general piece of advice, would you give to that person? I think it's the same, it's the same thing. People are coming from non-traditional background and, and they want to get in. I, w- I would say to them, you know, play your advantages, like learn something. Be, if you're really passionate, be really, really good at it. And then, you know, when you come to uh, those interviews also, I, I would focus a lot on how you would contribute to a team and not just, okay, I know this language and I know how to program. That's at least when I'm still interviewing, again, I'm not interviewing at that level now, but I'm looking for, even if I'm, it's the same, even if I'm like interviewing for, uh, you know, an executive role, I want to hear about all the great stuff that someone did and how, why they think they can increase our pipeline in that one. But then I want to hear how they contribute to the team mm. and how they're a team player and how, tell me a story, how you helped. So that's what, that's my advice to, to people, like put that in mind, like, be great at what you do, continue to learn, continue to improve all the time, be confident. And when you come to those interviews, remember that you're trying to join a team and make an impact on, on a team. And, and I think those, uh, I hope this is, this, this will help like, like to get, to get in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And Ori, where can people go to find out more about you or maybe linear B? On me specifically, I'm on LinkedIn, very much available. This is where I'm active the most. Twitter also, linear B, everybody can go and visit linearb.io. We have, uh, uh, main solution and we also have a nice uh, free thing called Gitstream where it's more for individual squads they want to like work more efficient it's really self-explanatory so people can check it out there all right i want to thank you so much ori for coming on i really enjoyed learning more about your backstory as well and i know i won't be the only one so thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us thank you so much for having me i appreciate it Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.